You're listening to Influx Collective, the podcast, Walking Amongst the Rubble, UndocuQueer Pride. I'm learning to let my sorrow uh, fall apart. I take pride in being a survivor. I hate the American dream. <laughs> my name is Corey Brabby Rudd, and I'm one of your co hosts. And I'm your other host, Diana Gutierrez. We started as a queer poetry reading series, uh, but basically our mission is to connect LA-based poets, promote queer events, and provide a space and a platform for queer creators and queer content. And Influx is a place for audience members to hear stories that reflect their own and for performers to find an audience that understands. Supporter programming at Patreon. Uh, we are at patreon.com slash Influx Collective without an E. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Jessica M. Avila Borojas, who is a poet and creator and was born in Veracruz, Mexico and raised in Los Angeles, California. They enjoy exploring themes of migration and sexuality through various mediums. Their early introduction to the arts has influenced their experimentation in storytelling, digital media, and writing. Also, Jessica's background in design is an inspiration for the formatting of their poetry. They're currently working as a communication specialist and are a first year graduate student in the Chicano, Chicana, and Latina, Latino department at Cal State Los Angeles. They hold a BFA in graphic design from California State Polytechnical University, Pomona. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Jessica. We'd first like to start off with asking, how are you feeling today? I got used to saying okay. <laughs> I've been saying okay for like the whole year. Because uh, that's like a loaded question, but I think overall I'm okay. I wonder, I, I don't know if you want to go into that a little bit more, but I found that answer quite interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by okay? Yeah, I just feel like, especially at work. We do small breakout groups and all of this during staff meetings, but we don't go into the deep, nor would I feel comfortable sharing some of the stuff with some of my coworkers. So a lot of times I have to say I'm okay. And then with people that I am closer with, I can elaborate more on like what it is behind that okay, but that behind okay will take more than five minute discussion. <laughs> so that's why I got used to saying that. But yeah, and, and I mean, okay, in the sense that I... I'm here and I feel very fortunate to be here. And there are things that like outside of my house are like happening, but in here it's just like safe and it's okay. And that alone is just like, it's not great, but it's just holding on to the okay. I really like that. I'm like, I wrote it down. I was like holding on to the okay. That sounds really cool. So can you tell us just a little bit about you? Sure. I, um, my name, my full name is Jessica Monserrat Avila Barojas, and I was born in Orizaba, Veracruz. My family and I came to this country when I was three years old. So I've been raised in LA for most of my life. And then in my mid-20s, I decided to leave home. Once I got DACA, I was like, freedom. Um, so then I moved to San Francisco, Oakland, and then in Portland. And that's where I met my my partner, who is now my wife, and now we have a one-year-old pup. So that's that's what happened during the pandemic. And I'm in school right now. I am part of the grad program at Cal State LA, and I'm also trying to find time for writing. It's a little bit harder to like do that while being in grad school. 
and yeah, I enjoy I enjoy poetry. I, I feel like I mentioned it at the at the cohort that I was part of, where writing wasn't always easy for me, and it was very difficult, especially like learning a new language and coming into a different culture. And poetry was this way of finding a new way of writing that wasn't so judgmental and allowed me to mm-hmm. express myself. Um. So, what are you studying at Cal State? So, I am part of the. Ch- Chicana, Chicano, Latina, Latino Studies uh, Department. Nice. Um, can I ask what your research is on? Yeah. Uh, so I was really excited to be part of this because my research is in artivism and how poetry and other art forms help sustain a lot of undocumented and queer folks as a way of resilience. And I am hoping to write about it through my own experience while also interviewing other people in the future. That's great. Do you have like any interviewers that you're excited to hear about other than like yourself and your experience? So I I, I haven't gotten that far, but there are a lot of people that I I think inspire what I what my thinking comes from. I know Alan Pelez, like Migrant Scribbles, they talk a lot about different things and within some of their poetry is being undocumented and I really like their writing. So it really made me think about how the poetry is this way of creating new worlds and also resisting what's happening around us. I'm really interested in the the idea that poetry can be a medium of healing is definitely it's it's been around for a bit, but I also just feel it so innately in myself, I guess. But I'm I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about either because you are studying something so similar, like how poetry has or or how you've seen it function to heal folks that that you've maybe encountered or even how it's if it has healed yourself. I feel like for me, when I start writing about certain things, I start remembering how I experienced things that were not okay. And it allows me to kind of carve that space to reflect on those traumas while also understanding and like giving them a definition or wording as to what happened, like systemically, racism, homophobia, all those different things. And that's something that I, I couldn't as a kid. So it was just like difficult to be going through that and then not understanding it. And now that I'm older, writing about it, ref- going it's like going back in time. And now I have the the wording to like understand what's happening. And I sometimes imagine myself having a conversation with my younger self. And in there, that's the healing part where it's just like I get to tell the my younger self that it was not their fault. And that like, you know, there's all these different things that have been in place that resulted in all the trauma that that I experienced. Yeah, tell us about your poetry process, please, if you can. What what inspires you? What when you write, what makes you feel like everything is possible? I think it 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 can be it can change. I feel like I don't have a fixed place or or system. I feel like sometimes I enjoy just sitting down in the living room and and writing. Other times when there's like a song that reminds me of a time and place, like back in time then I'll like feel inspired by that. Or if I feel like a lot of joy in that moment, things like it just can change throughout the day. And it it sometimes like happens out of nowhere and I want to write, but then I have to do other things. And then I'm like, I really want to be better at that. Where like, 
writing notes for myself so I can like do post-its or something just to put them down. I know my mentor keeps telling me to record myself because it's like not having enough time to sit down and write. So just recording as I'm walking and doing other things. And I feel like I am hoping to do that this year. But when I really, really need to write something, uh, deadlines are really helpful. <laughs> so that way I can lock myself in the room and just like spend hours in there. I, I, I enjoyed my privacy and I think I sometimes need to be alone in order to focus. Otherwise I end up thinking about other things. Mm. What songs are inspiring you right now? So I was, I went to this event this, it was last week or wait, we're still in this week. Never mind. It was this week with DJ Sizzle and Julio Salgado. They were doing, I think it was, Roquerita, Flor, Flor Roquerita. I, I'm like messing up the title, but they had this event this week and they were doing all this music and like uh, rock in Espanol and all of that. And um, at some point they went into No Doubt and my partner walked into the room and she she was listening to the song too. And I'm trying to remember which one it was. A Simple Life. Oh yeah, it was No Doubt, A Simple Life. And it just took me back to seventh grade. And I told my partner like, oh like it just took me back to all the feelings and the insecurities and like the questioning. Like I knew I was queer. I always knew it. I just didn't know what it was. And I had all these crushes and it made me think about how my crushes, whenever they were with like someone, it was like the end of the world for me. And then a month later, I would have another crush, <laughs> but it was just so dramatic. And, and I processed all of this by myself. And, and now I think back on it and I'm like, I really wish I would have had someone there to like talk to about my crushes, to talk about my heartbreaks. And um, I was joking with my partner and I told her, I think I'm going to write a poem called To All the Girls I Loved uh, based on that Netflix show. Uh, and then just like write all the things I wish I would have said to them because I never did. That could almost even be like a really interesting book premise to like each person gets their own little poem. I could, I would read that <laughs> in a heartbeat. Dude, seriously, that would be so cool. Wow. I'm, I'm like getting so much joy from just hearing about this idea because yeah, like when you're a kid, it's so hard to be able to not just like admit to yourself who you like but also just like being a first gen undocu queer kid that's like fuck not only do i have this shit going on but i also like i'm super gay <laughs> damn yeah i'm excited to see that work oh god now i'm even like thinking like you remember like those sketchers that people had in seventh grade and like yeah all those things Ugh, bringing back so many memories of middle school now <laughs> Cool. I'm happy that we heard about just your poetry process and you. And thank you again for getting so vulnerable with us about how you create and what you're inspired by. Is there anything that you would like to read for us? Oh, yeah. I wanted to share this poem that I finished this week. And when I finished it, it made me think about the reading that I did for school by Bettina Love and her book is We Want to Do More Than Survive Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom. And in it, she talks about spirit murder and spirit murder was coined by Patricia Williams, who argued that racism is more than just a physical pain. And 
racism can rob from people of color and like in different places and schools in the, in the sense that she's talking about in this book is in the schools and then um, outside of that, like in society, I remember my professor asked if we could go back to a time where we felt like our spirit was murder. And I was just like, huh, I can't just go to one. I feel like there's different moments in my educational journey where I felt my spirit was, was being murdered because I was being told that I wasn't enough, that my accent was too thick, that I didn't know how to speak this language, which is English. And I also remember like it was normal for teachers to be okay with kids bullying other kids and calling them gay. So growing up in that kind of environment, it made me think about how, yes, my spirit was murdered in many different times. So I've, I, I wrapped up this poem and made me think about how it kind of connected to that. So, Chipimple. Pronounce Chipimple. Noun, Chichimples, Chichimple. They stand at opposing ends, entangled souls quarreling and dancing every time the night of a dream appears. Similar to This is not your language. ¿Por qué estoy aquí? Standing in front of my fourth grade class, reciting Discovering a World by Christopher Columbus. Me, my chip, Santa Maria. Teacher, ship. Me, yes, yes, my chip. I sail in my chip. Teacher, no, not potato chip. Ship as in boat. You have to improve your English if you want to be part of the play. Them. Mojada. Mojada. Me. Mojada. Mojada. Similar to isolation, confusion, loss. Chichimple. The baptism and indoctrination of a new American. Me. I've worked really hard for my 4.0 GPA. Do you think universities will consider me? Counselor. I would suggest you don't apply to college. Me. Are there scholarships available for people like me? I have good grades, play sports, and do volunteer work. Counselor, since you are an illegal, it would be best for you to work and save money for maybe one day going to college. Me, you are not equal, wanted criminal, similar to not good enough, fraud, statistic. Chichimple, alien to the system, to them, and the nation state. Me. They only hired you because they want more brown face on the staff page. Me, but I've worked so hard. I have seven years of experience. Me, have you forgotten? Immigrants like you are here to serve others. You can dream, but don't ever believe it will become a reality. Me, but similar to tokenism, trauma porn, hegemony. Chichimple, battle with sharp edges that pierces the spirit and makes the body scream. Races that change forever together, they will never leave. What origin, white supremacy, heteropatriarchy, country of freedom and equality. Freedom and equality for white citizens only. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, that was really powerful. I yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you included that poem. I, I just feel like it's really related to what everything we were talking about. So thank you. I'm kind of just like sitting with it because there was so much in it that felt so resonant and so, yeah, just really powerful. Thank you for sharing that again. But yeah, that's a, that poem, I, um, 
I wrapped it up as I finished reading this chapter on spirit murder. And I was like, that's what I was like. There are so many points in my life that I could point at spirit murder. Um, and I wanted to highlight the different times it's happened in, and I hope that the readers are able to, to see that it's in different types of my age and not just at once. Yeah, I definitely got that. And I, I also, um, it, it seemed like it was, it was focusing on spirit murder in an academic context, which is really, I guess, just frustrating and disheartening in general, because it's supposed to be the place that uplifts you. And you're, I mean, constantly just back to back being told things that, that push you down and shrink you instead of building you up. And so I absolutely understand why that was something you went to for, for the concept of, of spirit murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just, um, it made me, um, I, and one part of a, the assignment was also writing a letter to Dr. Love about what the book meant. And, um, and as I was reflecting on it, I, I added in the letter that I finished this poem and it made me think about the writing that she had. Mm -hmm. And, um, it also made me think about other times. And that's what I mean. We're like writing. It's like, it'll make me think of one, two, three, and then I'll go into all these different places. And I don't always sit and think about like, oh, this was not okay. Um, and now that I'm older, I'm like, there's so many things that I don't think any child should experience that I did. And I don't want to replicate that one and do that to a student, um, as someone that wants to become an educator. And then two, I also want to be able to heal that child that is still in me. And also, I feel like it's really validating for other people who have been told similar things to hear someone voice that and and to express and call it out too. like, this is not OK. This podcast is brought to you by the city of West Hollywood's One City, One Pride LGBTQ Arts Festival. Each year, the City of West Hollywood celebrates Pride with its One City, One Pride LGBT Arts Festival, which runs from Harvey Milk Day, May 22nd, through the end of June Pride Month. I think Corey knows a little bit more about this poem because of the assignment. Um, we were supposed to go outside in East LA and have a conversation with the tree, I think it was. <laughs> something, something along those lines. Um, but I started thinking a lot about my mom. And that's why I titled this, this poem, Maria, because that's her name. And seeing my mom, I feel like that's another part too, where like growing up, I didn't always understand her and I didn't really see why she was making certain decisions. And as I got older and matured, our relationship has changed. And in it, I have also seen how strong she is and also how much she has overcome and this is in honor of my mom. And the title is Maria. Soft, thick, sharp, brown skin. 1250. Ding dong, ding dong. The church bell rings. Purple, orange skies. Timid, warm breeze. Summer is here. You stand there, hefe de hefes, head up high, branching out the rusted bars. They tried, but they could not. Scars of the memories. The burning pain you know so well. They tried, but they could not. Stop the tender soft pink, yellow daffodil, 
and gilly flowers growing at your feet. Yeah, there's so much resilience and all of what our parents have just sacrificed in order to just give us a life here. And I really like how you shape that poem too, like a tree. It looks like a the trunk. But yes, that's it, it it's a really beautiful poem. I really like it. Something I love about this poem too is I know that that folks who are listening can't necessarily see it unless they they look it up but the the flowers growing at your feet is spread out almost to appear like flowers growing at the foot of the poem it's really beautiful yeah it's really cool how it's like towards the bottom too so it feels like roots and how like that beauty is rooted in you and that's why I wanted to write this poem where it's about like it is it, it's it stemmed from like the tree part but then when I thought about a tree and I was like someone that's grounded, that's like strong, that is in, because it, it was in East LA and I was like, it's in the city where there's like, you know, LA is considered like a very polluted city and trees are still here. So it made me think about that resistance. And I was like, that's to me symbolizes my mom. And at the end, I also ended with, I adding flowers at the bottom of the poem because there's beauty in, in her still. And I feel like that's the part two where it's like, I could see her, now that I'm older, I could see the pain. I could see the rough edges. That's like why she was so tough with me. But at the same time, there's beauty. Thank you for sharing that. It also was like, you're describing also a tree because there is so much rootedness and groundedness and wisdom in our parent. Yeah, that I really appreciated hearing you talk about it a little bit too. Also, it was cool to see a a poem from from the queering poetry group. Uh, that was cool. But yeah, I I this kind of leads me into one of the questions that I had for you, and it's actually one that we're trying to we're trying to ask everyone that we interview because based on the the name of this season, which is walking amongst the rubble. And I, I wanted to see if you could basically just talk about what does walking amongst the rubble mean to you? I read this article, Space, Identity, and Memory in Queer Brown Los Angeles, Finding Sequence in the Rubble by Dr. Eddie Francisco Alvarez. And that's what it made me think about when I saw the the, the name Rebel 2. And thinking about both titles and what they meant to me, it's like going against the grain, but at the same time, it's like finding strength in the process or finding beauty in the process. And and I think that's where, um, that's what it, it made me think about, where it's not just one one meaning, it can, it can have more than one. Mm-hmm. What would you say that your rebel has been this past year? So a singular one? <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like I um I have therapy every week and and every time I tell my therapist like we're I have so much today like I have to pick one thing and it's not enough time but yeah I feel like one that I we can all relate to is uh, the pandemic it's it's since the beginning it's was just been really hard and I my partner and I still have moments where like we remember when we were walking to go pick up some groceries before anything closed and and in my where I work we have a director of disaster and he had predicted all of this and when he said 
that we were going to be closing the country and up to like a year or more, I was, I was in disbelief because I don't think I was ready to, to cope with that in that moment. Um, but then I was telling my partner as we were walking on to the grocery store and she also was feeling concerned and we both knew that if COVID kind of came over to the States, which now we know had been here already, it was going to predominantly affect brown and black folks. So we already knew that. Thinking about my family who's undocumented, I my, my brain also started going into crisis mode, which is something that I'm also finding out my therapist pointed out that I tend to be a problem solver and because of all the things that I've experienced growing up. So I have to, I went into functioning mode into like, I have to figure something out. And it was so hard to figure something for something I didn't know. So I was just like having to cope with the anxiety of not knowing and cope with the anxiety of not having control, which is, it's very hard for me. And I joked in one of the, what well, try to kind of make, joke out of it in one of the poems where like I referred to my sign because my my sign is very fixed it's into like being grounded and having I hate change and I do think that's true I do hate change and not having control that it was just a mix of chaos for me and then I was like then having those conversations with my parents it was difficult and my whole family overall and who they were in disbelief because I was bringing information from an organization that like this person that does this work. So it wasn't yet public to everyone. So they were looking at me kind of like, well, like you're making this up. And I was like, I'm not making this up. We need to prepare. So it was just like hard to get people to prepare when they're not believing me. So then my partner and I just started getting ready. And the day that they sent me home to work from home, they said like, it's unknown when you'll be coming back. So just take everything that you need. So I took my stuff and after that, my partner and I were going to go to the climbing gym because uh, everything was still open. And um, and then I was so anxious and she's like, why are you so anxious? And I'm like, everyone's just panic shopping and like, I'm not going to have enough of like this. And my parents, I know they haven't gone shopping because they don't believe anything's happening. And I was like, oh. and then she was like, do you prefer that we go shopping for some things for your parents or do you want to go to the gym? And then. I was like, let's just go buy things. And we went to the stores and bought things that my parents need. Um, I bought meat. I don't eat meat. So <laughs> this was definitely for my parents. Got chicken for them. And then the weekend after, I think that's when they announced everything was shutting down and people were waiting on lines for a long time. And I have people in my family that are immune compromised. And that was the part that was concerning me. I didn't want them to be lining up or like be exposing themselves. Um, and yeah, and then it just, everything just from there happened and having those conversations with my family in the beginning, then when we were in the process of um, the closing and everything, and and I remember having this conversation with my mom where I feel like I sometimes, I think of her experience and, and I think that's something that I've learned that's that being, undocumented and being raised in this country and having access to education and the language and all these different things have put me in a place of privilege where like it makes me different it makes my experience different and there is a 
a gap in between my experience and that of my mom or, or my dad. Because I remember we were having this conversation where she she was like, um, they're going to help help for us, for undocumented people. And I was like, no, they're not. And she's like, but they wouldn't let us die like this. And I was like, yes, they will. But like having those conversations with her while also like, you know, not like, because I know where she's coming from. I know she's in panic mode. I know she's trying to hold on to something. So I'm not trying to destroy any hope from her, for her, I mean. But at the same time, it's like being realistic on my end where it's like, no, they have been doing this and they knew this was going to happen and they didn't do anything about it. So then having to look for aid and I feel like so fortunate that my partner is here. She's been super supportive and she helped me apply for like grants from for my mom because she owns a small business and she had to close it down. My dad was laid off and then my aunts were laid off. So it was just like having to find all these different resources for them because they couldn't apply to other places that were like federal funding um, and then trying to find places where they could do food, where they were doing food banks. Um, so yeah, it was just a lot of like having to to plan for something I didn't know. And then when I was in it, trying to like put off little fires here and there, and then they just kept coming and coming and coming. And then my grad program started and I was just like, <laughs> Oof, girl. Uh, yeah. Wow. Oof. Um, I, yeah, I could relate so much. Just like, first, like, how are, how are you doing? How do you take care of yourself uh, when you're holding space for your family and when you're trying to figure all of this out? What do you do to cope through it? So I'm learning to let myself uh, fall apart. That's something that is new to me and that I think it's it's really important because growing up, I felt like I experienced all these different things and I just had to push through and like keep going and keep going and keep going. And at no point did I let myself just cry, feel helpless, feel all these different things. And I think those are reasonable ways to feel now. And through like going through therapy, that's one one place that helps me a lot. It's like being able to talk to someone and that person just validating me I think that's the other part too that I seek a lot of validation <laughs> I learned that and then for them to be like no it's okay like you've gone through a lot you have every right to just stay in bed tomorrow and not get up and my partner is also very supportive so I when I get to the point where I need to fall apart I try to let myself do that which is hard it's hard training myself to do that because I'll be embedded. I'm like, okay, cry. <laughs> and then I'm like, not crying. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, I, I, I feel it. Like, it's this thought on my throat. And I'm like, just come out. Just do it. And I can't. And I, again, I'll mention my partner because she's a cancer. And I'm like, you're perfect because you're all about that love. You're all about that crying. And I told her one time, like, this is a compliment, but I've never cried so much with someone. And that's because she holds so much space for me to be myself, to be vulnerable. And I feel so comfortable around her. So, yeah, I feel like in falling apart and also when I have other other things that I'm trying to to implement, like um, I got really good at meditation at some point and I stopped. But meditation helps me. Yoga helps me. I started weightlifting and that doesn't always like help me because then it kind of gets me more like 
frustrated, you know, because there's a lot of back and forth. Or now that I have a pup, I go on walks with him and, and play with him. And he, he brings me a lot of happiness. That's cute. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that you're taking care of yourself and that your partner is really supportive amidst all of this rubble, chaos. And th- that's why I chose this as the theme, because we literally, as undocumented queer people, we're walking through fire all the time and like just being fierce about getting through it. Even if like there's patches where it feels like we might not be able to get through it, but then we do. And there's also so much complexity and nuisance in that. So that's really good that you're taking care of yourself. And, you know, the just the amount of your that you're able to hold space for your family is really great. And also it's it's crazy that as like undocu queer people, some of us who do have um, connections with our parents, like we, we do feel the need to hold space because the government isn't going to. It's, I can definitely relate to that. And even Corey as my partner, she, she has been a really great ally to my parents and just like being there for me and holding space like your partner did for me when you know, like there was no stimmy for my parents and, and even like I, we haven't seen my brother in 20 years and she's definitely been really supportive. So it's also really, really great to have those people around you who are able to hold you. I definitely think that's really important. And speaking of holding, how would you say your poetry process has been through all this, like through the pandemic? Have you written? So, um, I was working on a new poem. In the middle of the pandemic, I was just working with a mentor and they were really helpful. But then like everything just started happening and, and there were days where more things happened, other days not so much. And then I stopped writing. And then I really wanted to write because I, I had so many feelings and this was still during the Trump administration. So there were on a daily basis, we had like national things happening and I wanted to, to write it, to put, put it someplace but I feel like I was too exhausted and that's, it's been difficult to do that. And then once I started the grad program, this has been having to balance everything with school and the writing that I do is mainly for school. But even in that, I try to include some of how I feel because my research is very personal. Like, like I mentioned, like I want to include my own experience in it. And when I read, I think I apply it to my experience. And when I write about it, I also include my experience in it. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, where did I hear this quote from? I think it was from Aya Angelou that speaking about your experience as like a person that is othered, it kind of feels like having sandpaper in your throat or like swallowing sandpaper, something along those lines. So I could just imagine like when you're writing, just like the amount of space that you have to hold for yourself and just how hard of a process that is to just let out. Even so, I really appreciate your poetry and what you've written, you know, will add to the canon of queer poetry that is constantly like shaping the legacy of what will be what we will leave for younger undocumented youth. 
Do you feel like sometimes you write for the younger undocumented queer person? Not necessarily just like who you were in the past, but also just the kids that are still going through it? Uh, yeah, I do. I feel like in in my research too, and the reason I'm pursuing a degree in that, in ethnic studies, my overall goal is to become a professor. And I would love to teach at a community college and work with undocumented youth or undocumented and queer youth because I know like growing up, I experienced a lot of things that uh, in the schools uh, because of my teachers, my counselors, and they were just not helpful at all. Like they were completely uninformed with like the undocumented status. And there are more people that are informed, I think now, but you still have a lot of things that are in place where undocumented youth won't have access to. Like it's still something that we see today. And the same thing with like migration hasn't stopped, like it's still happening and you will still continue to have that population as long as we have like this type of system of citizenship and and like othering other folks and alienating people who are not. So I do think about it and and I do write about it in a way that I hope that it helps other people um, that are going through it. Because I do remember how difficult it was and I think it was um like I know not everyone benefits from DACA and I know there are youth outside of that but when DACA was it was started resigning I was concerned for myself and my family but at the same time I was concerned for the people that were aging into that group that were going to qualify for it because I knew how much of a difference it made for me and my family to be able to obtain a work permit and I was heartbroken because of that so it's like I don't forget that there are other people that are still experiencing this yeah that's what I feel like being in community will perpetually feel is like you carry um that desire of thriving for your community as well and again that's what makes it so it feels like we're walking through the rubble and making it. If listeners want to read more of your work or follow you or, or find out when you have more work coming, what is the best way for them to, to, to find you? I'm an old school millennial now. <laughs> so I can mainly just like be found on Instagram and even, yeah, even there, I don't even post too much. But if followers want to like check out my work, it's at YM. A051 on Instagram. Yes, thank you so much. As like a fellow and queer poet, I yes, I thank you so much for your work. Thank you for listening to Influx Collective, the podcast, Walking Amongst the Rubble, Undocu Queer Pride. To get updates on our upcoming episodes, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or join our email list at influxcollective.org.